I used to sit in the preschool in tears. All the man really has to do on the day of birth is find a good parking spot. <laughs> dad, Dad, catch this. Boom, I've done a poo. Stop stabbing your sister. From the news desk to the nursery. Mum! This is The Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. This show is our chance to catch up on stories that have been maybe circulating in the news, on social media, perhaps in your local cafe. Joining us today, we have Mamma Mia's Holly Wainwright, author and host of parenting podcast, This Glorious Mess and Mum of Two. Hello, Holly. How are you? Hello. I'm great. And we also have Luke Escombe, a.k.a. Asparagus from The Vegetable Plot and father of one delightful son. Hmm. Hello. (laughs) Was he delightful this morning? He's actually been, he's had a very delightful week. Oh. big tantrum on Saturday and we thought, oh, that's it. You know, he's no good. And then he's just been lovely. Oh. Almost as though he planned it that way. I thought that was going to go downhill. (laughs) Absolutely. Rapidly. He got so excited about the InSight rover landing on Mars and that's really got me excited. I mean, obviously I was excited and I said, they landed someone on Mars and then I, I showed him the video of all the NASA people and the touchdown confirmed and he just wanted to watch it again. Again and again, so oh wow, that kind of inspired something in me too. Oh, I need to go home and immediately show that to my children. <laughs> I know they've got some brilliant picture books about that. My nephew's really into curiosity. It. Yes, that's the one, and that's oh. and so he'll he'll sort of walk around everywhere, and we'll say, Harry, what are you doing? And he'll say, I'm being curiosity. Oh my goodness, mm. that is such a cool story. So um, it's been a while since we've seen the both of you, Holly. What have you been up to? Gosh, what haven't I been up to? <laughs> I've been wrangling my two. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's that getting crawling to the end of the year time, isn't it? Dragging. Dragging to the end of the year and everybody's tired and everybody's cranky. And, you know, I'm just trying to get there. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Can you see the pina colada on the horizon? I can't. Well, no, because we're actually going to England for Christmas oh. this year. So uh, we're going to spend a, a very wintry Christmas. And my favourite thing at the moment is to keep showing the kids... The weather in Manchester, which is where my family live, six degrees most days, six degrees and raining. So no pina coladas, <laughs> maybe a hot toddy. <laughs> do you guys do eggnog? No, we don't do eggnog, but there, but there might be a bit of mulled wine. It'll be, yes. it'll be interesting because the kids have never had a cold Christmas, so they'll be, I'll be going. This is, isn't it nostalgic and wonderful? And they'll be like, Are you crazy? Where's the beach? <laughs> I love that idea. Luke, what have you been up to? Have you got a new video out? I saw... uh, there's, a, there's a new video on the way. I was in Italy for a month with the family. <gasps> oh. we, we were celebrating a, a particular milestone that my wife and I hit in the last 12 months, a certain age. And uh, <laughs> we decided to treat ourselves with a month in Italy, which was probably about a week too long for our, our five-year-old. And we learned a lot about... Um, a, I mean, the very first tour we did at St. Mark's Basilica in Venice, we we had one of those audio tours, three hours, and we realized we've made a terrible mistake. You know, <laughs> Harry is not interested in old ruins or anything he likes. He just likes sweets and ice cream. That's it. You know, that we was don't very to... ambitious. So, so but then I, I thought, well, I've got my phone. I've got an audio book on there. And so we put the headphones on him, and throughout the rest of the trip, he just listened to the one audio book all the way around Italy, and he walked, and he'd have two or three gelatos a day and every restaurant (laughs) um we we packed a big sack of lego and he just build lego at the restaurant so we we just about got through but it it got a little bit ugly towards the end of the trip in rome what was the audio book it was an andy and terry it was the 91 story treehouse such a good idea. We we listen to audiobooks a lot on um, road trips. We do, we've done Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, all the Roald Dahls. It's just great. 
I just that's such a good idea though to do that mm. when you're traveling especially when um with your son you wouldn't have had to listen to it as well because <laughs> my daughter's favorite audiobook was the day my bum went psycho and that is torture that book it is so disgusting and I've had to listen to it about six times. Unless you were five, in which case it's heaven. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not such a fan of Andy Griffith's earlier work before Terry Denton, <laughs> I must say, all the, all the bum books. But the Treehouse ones are actually a lot of fun to listen oh, to. Oh, they are. They're great. Enjoy them. And I always do Terry's voice the same as Stig Weems from the audiobook when I'm reading them. So oh, perfect. It really helps. Like I can pretty much recite the first audiobook. Can you do give us a little bit? Well, Terry's like, oh, Andy, oh, no, what are you going to do now? <laughs> Okay, well, let's get on to the topics we're talking about. We are going to discuss whether or not we should be banning monkey bars, Christmas present etiquette for teachers, and the best parenting equipment ever still to be invented. It's going to be something we are asking our guests about today. First up, we're looking at your favourite way to connect with your child. All the grandkids are coming over for Jay's night, family tradition. Everybody wears PJs, which they love. I make my famous sloppy J's, which are really sloppy Joe's, but made by Jay, which they love. And then we all watch a Western together, which they don't really care for, but hey, it's Jay's night. That is, of course, Jay from Modern Family, talking about how he likes to bond with his family. Finding time to connect with your kids, like really connect, it can be hard. Life is busy. There are a lot of things to fit in a day. Personally, uh, for me, it's hug time, which normally happens first thing in the morning. Um, Holly, what's your favourite way to connect with your kids? Well, it's it's probably quite a traditional one because in my house it's book time, which is bedtime, obviously, um, because of busy, busy working parents. And, you know, we often, I often stumble in the door 10 minutes before bedtime, a lot of days of the week. And I just absolutely love the time when we snuggle up in the bed and read together. And Matilda, my eight-year-old and I are working our way through all the Harry Potters. Well, I say all, we've got to number three. Um, (laughs) We're a bit worried about how scary they're about to become. Mm -hmm. And it's my favourite time of day is snuggling up in bed and reading books with them. And then the other one is similar to yours. And I know that this is a parent fail that I shouldn't admit but my children still even though they're six and eight very often end up in our bed oh yeah they sleep with us a lot still and Matilda who is now you know tall up to my shoulder is still snuggling into our bed every night and I know that I should be really discouraging it and Brent my partner is really not a fan but I apps it's my secret is I love it I love snuggling up with them and waking up with them in the morning. And it's often when they'll tell me stories about things that happened the day before that I missed. And they never want to talk at the end of the day. They want to read. But in the morning, they want to talk. And I just love that time. I reckon, I don't think you're alone in that, Holly. I don't, I think it's not advised. Oh, we don't care about that kind of advice. (laughs) How about you, Luke? How do you like to connect with your boy? Well, I'm the same. I love reading a story to Harry at night. And it is, at the moment, it's the Treehouse books. He's been obsessed for about a year with, with those. So we've got all of them, and I've read them all at least 10 times. But as I said, he, he's got really excited by this book about the Mars rover, Curiosity. And, and it was so good for me because, after a while, Andy and Terry kind of getting angry and calling each other idiots and hitting <laughs> each other over there with frying pans. I'm like, this isn't maybe the best kind of moral information I want to put in Harry's head. So now the fact that he's got so excited about this rover being up on Mars means that I connect with him in the mornings. We just check in because there's a Facebook page Ah. for Curiosity where uh, she posts 360-degree images of Mars. So you can just go in and say, well, let's let's have a look at, at Mars today. 
And it, it's really um, ignited this interest in science in him now, which is great because he's very, he's a bit of an abstract thinker. He's sort of a, a creative genius, but without any of the skills to back it up. <laughs> but he's like, I'm, I'm a musician and I've got 20 instruments, Dad. I'm going to be a musician just like you. And why aren't you putting my songs on the album? You know, I've written six <laughs> albums. And, um, so now this, this, this is a way into science. And so this is, I'm really loving connecting with him on on uh, on Mars at the moment. It's oh, our, that it's our sound means of I, I'm going to go home and sort that out. I, I think, think my so. kids would be really interested too. I didn't know there was a Facebook group. All these things. It's very helpful. Very like, well. That's why we bring you both in. Exactly. No pressure, Holly. But you're going to have to come up with something. <laughs> Damn it. I'm not useful at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. You've made us all feel okay about sleeping with our kids. Oh, there, there you go. Coming up, is it time we banned monkey bars? Say, is there a playground or something nearby, say, maybe with swings or monkey bars? I don't think kids should be allowed on the playground equipment. These machines are death traps. A childhood injury report funded by the Western Australian government found that monkey bars are one of the most dangerous pieces of play equipment for kids. David Eager, a it's a funny name, isn't it? David Eager, a professor of risk management at the University of Technology, Sydney, told the Sydney Morning Herald, monkey bars were okay when I was a kid 60 years ago, but they're not an appropriate form of play equipment in 2018. So, Luke... Should we be banning monkey bars? As you were saying that, it just reminds me that David Eager sounds a lot like Inspector Bubble Wrap from uh, the 61 <laughs> Story Treehouse, who's the safety inspector who ends up traveling back through time and deciding to become a stuntman at the end because oh, wow. he realizes how much fun it is to do risky things. Uh, no, of course we shouldn't be banning monkey bars. Um, my wife, as you know, is an early childhood expert, and I, I mentioned this to her, and she's like, oh, goodness sake, you know. Uh, so she gave me some good words to use brachiation. Uh, is something that monkey bars are very good for. It's when uh, kids are suspending themselves by their own body weight using their arms. It's extremely good for the arms and shoulders, brachiation. And it's also very good for their vestibular system to do things where they're actually physically challenging themselves, where there's some level of risk. And playgrounds are so much safer now than when when I was a kid. I remember in England in the 80s, asphalt. All playgrounds were made of this jagged concrete. <laughs> Uh, and now we've got this beautiful spongy playgrounds, a wood chip, grass. So it's quite hard to seriously hurt yourself falling over. If you think the child is too young to be able to hold on, you can spot them like the the gymnastics coaches do. But it's it's a very good activity for kids, and we definitely shouldn't be banning it because you know what's going to happen. We ban monkey bars. Alan Jones is going to be on about how we're a snowflake generation. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's just a bad vibe all around, it's so let's true. keep the monkey bars. He doesn't need any more encouragement in that, <laughs> in that space. I, I agree with Luke, of course. No, we shouldn't ban monkey bars. I have heard this many times, and I've heard that doctors particularly – they hate monkey bars because so many monkey bar injuries come through their surgeries. And certainly at my kids' school, they've got monkey bars in the playground and there have definitely been injuries. My friend's little boy banged his head. But as Luke was saying, when I was a kid, again, in England with the jagged asphalt, like <laughs> cracking your head open, in inverted commas, was like a rite of passage. There was always talk of like so-and-so cracked their head open. I did it. Which was never as dramatic as it sounded, but it still sounded great. And I would argue, obviously, with the exception of any serious injury, that 
falling off pieces of play equipment every now and again and hurting yourself and testing your limits is just part of being a kid and growing up. So, of course, we don't want our children to injure themselves seriously. But my daughter has calluses on her hands from the monkey bars at school and she's very proud of them. And she's much better at monkey bars than she was before she had the calluses. And I think, come on, they've got it. I don't want to sound like Alan Jones, but (laughs) kids do need to be a little bit tough. I do find it interesting, though, because we, as you mentioned just then, Luke, and you alluded to Holly, you know, often parents are accused of sort of wrapping our kids up in cotton wool. But with this monkey bars topic, it seems most parents are coming out saying, no, we're not, we're taking away too much risk. I think so. I mean, I think when you go to playgrounds and especially when your kids are little and there's a a local playground to me has a very high climbing frame, really high, but it's fantastic and the kids love it. And the first few times you take your children there, you're so your heart's in your mouth as you watch them scale that thing. And you you think this should surely this is illegal these days, (laughs) like for children to be just allowed to scale things willy nilly, you know. But I think I think that most parents learn they see the children's sense of accomplishment as they manage to get higher and higher and they don't fall off and crack their heads open. And I think that most of us want to encourage that kind of independence in our kids at the end of the day. And there's actually good science to back it up, that there are very clear benefits. Uh, the way my wife put it, she, she read an article recently and said that there are very clear benefits in allowing our kids to do things that make us gasp. Mm. Uh, it means that they're challenging themselves, they're working at the edge of their limits and as long as they don't get seriously hurt, which is very unlikely, it's very high, you know, very low risk of a serious injury, they will actually develop an enormous amount of resilience and physical confidence through doing that. And it it has measurable benefits. It's very easy, easy to measure the harms and say, okay, we've had this many doctor visits, we've had this many broken arms, but we, we can actually also measure the benefits. And I think that's, it helps parents to come out and sort of quote these studies and say, well, no, actually, we think the the, the harms are outweighed by the, the good in this case. And therefore, Luke, we'd like you to represent us all at the Western Australian government, whatever it is. To as long as I don't have to do the monkey bars, because I can't do them. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have to. You're so tall. You That's could just right. Like... I just walk along the ground. <laughs> that was my solution. You're listening to The Parent Panel. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My guests today are Mama Mia's Holly Wainwright, author and host of parenting podcast, This Glorious Mess, and Luke Eskom, otherwise known as Asparagus, from The Vegetable Plot. In just a moment, what is the etiquette for teachers' Christmas presents? sure you're not spending too much money? I thought I'd get him a Christmas present. I would bring gifts for my teachers because they work so hard. You have to buy a present for every one of these? Now, I don't remember giving my teachers presents at Christmas time when I was young, but it is definitely a thing now. Some schools or daycares will have um, parents in amongst the people who go there who organise a big gift and ask people to contribute money. Um, you may like to buy something more personal and small. I mean, I don't think it's ever really straightforward. And as an example, um, if you take your child to a daycare centre where there's more than one teacher, do you get one for everyone? I mean, it's a real expensive time of year and also a time when lots of people don't actually can't sit down and do handmade crafts and give those which is a lovely idea but it it is a bit of a time poor time of the year. Holly how do you approach gifts for teachers? 
In my fantasy life, I'm making, you know, fresh chutney for everybody and tying a little <laughs> bow around the top of the jars, mason jars, environmentally friendly and all that stuff. But in reality, mm. I'm rushing around, you know, some big variety store on the 15th of December just grabbing things that will, <laughs> I think will look okay. Um, this year is the first year that both of our children are in school. So we do do the thing where everybody puts in for a teacher's present. Um, previously, when Billy was at daycare, I did buy a present for all of the carers. Wow. And, but, and they were rubbish. This is the thing is the things that they probably don't even want, but you feel that you want to give things to them. So this year we've been asking at Mamma Mia, where obviously I work, we've been asking a lot of teachers what they actually want. Uh-huh. And heartwarmingly, they generally say that they want one of two things. They want personal cards and messages from the kids that actually come from the heart. So they want letters and cards that aren't just thank you, well done, but say something specific about how hard they work. And the other thing they want is vouchers because we should remember that we don't pay our teachers enough. And so for them to get vouchers, to go to the movies, to go and get a facial, to go and I don't know, whatever it is that you know they like doing is probably the best thing you can give them instead of another box of chocolates. Yeah, true. Those are good ideas. What do you think, Luke? And have you had this discussion with your wife who is a teacher? Yes, she gets lovely gifts every year. Um, we have a lot up in Avalon, a lot of the parents at her zero to three class have businesses. And so often she'll get something from the business. But um you know, it doesn't really matter the, the size of the gift. As Holly said, the personal message from the parents means so much, and she really does appreciate it. And she does, uh, you know, just looking at her wages, feel underappreciated for the, for the incredible amount of uh, work she's put in, getting the qualifications she has, and setting up her classroom every week. Uh, so she really appreciates the presence, and she also buys presents for all the teachers at the main school, um, she is incredibly organized with Christmas presents uh, to the extent that she's already bought next year's Christmas presents. What? Uh, she's for, putting you to shame. Uh, she is. And, and she gets the same present every year. And I don't want to give too many spoilers, but there's a particular brand of champagne that when you hear it, you think, oh, that's, that's very high end. Uh, and whenever that's on special at a certain shop, she'll buy a case of it and sort of sell her it somewhere in the house and that'll come out as presents. Gosh, she's so clever. Oh, she's very, very organized. But it is interesting because I, like you, Siobhan, I don't remember that from when I was a child. And I think that parents do get quite stressed about where they stop buying the presents because particularly when your kids are little and they're doing swimming lessons and yoga lessons and you've got somebody who looks after them at this time and that time and it can be an, a very long list. Yes. But at the same time... The people who look after our kids are obviously the most important people in our lives. So, you know, I know it is. It is tough. I think possibly the the, the part where it becomes a bit trickier is a bit later on. If certain families are buying very expensive gifts for teachers, and other families feel, oh, how can we match that? And there's any sort of suggestion that that gift is supposed to influence the teacher towards the I child, which this. would not at all. I mean, my wife says there's no way that works. Like, you know, te- teachers are smart. They're not gonna. They're gonna see through that gift, and if anything, it's gonna be something they wouldn't accept, or yes. it would actually make them feel, yeah, this family's just trying to buy me because they don't want to parent their kid. Um, <laughs> but I can imagine there there might be a pressure among parents if someone's spending lavishly on mm. teachers to feel oh, that we have to because I, I think it should be a voluntary thing. Yeah I do remember um, when my daughter was at daycare 
um, we were having quite a hard time financially. And we got to the end of the year. It was the first year at daycare. And the parents at this daycare were reasonably well off and had asked for a contribution. I can't remember what it was now, but the contribution was so, for me, it was just impossible. And I thought, God, I can't do that. And I felt terrible. I felt like Mm. I was being a bit of a social pariah and and stingy too, because I thought, well, God, they're going to have this massive, and they all gave vouchers to the teachers. And it was at this big end of year celebration. And I felt so guilty because I was like, oh, can I really rock up with a box of chocolates and say thank you after you've got this you take four hundred dollar voucher you take the moral high ground there by baking something <laughs> as we'd said at the as i said You're at the top of I this cook. well that's true as i said at the top of this my fantasy life i'm baking and making chutney and that doesn't happen with love but you know i think that's high status now that's yes. high status if you've got time to do that which none of us do, but no. I think that that could beat the four hundred dollars. Kombucha, homemade yes. kombucha. Oh, exactly. That's <laughs> a very big thing in Avalon right now. Yeah. Home fermented kimchi, something like that. You know, that would really just turn the dial on the four hundred dollar voucher. Filled, filled, filled with love and good bacteria. Yep. <laughs> oh my goodness! You're listening to the Parent Panel. We'll be back after this very short break with the question: What piece of parenting equipment needs to be invented? If we don't have that, we need to invent it. Suppose it would make my life easier. Just to make things easier for everyone. This week, Babyology published a story about waterproof baby carriers. Um, and I have to admit, it's the first time I've seen something like this and gone, brilliant! I would have loved one of these, um, especially when I think about it. Not Maybe not with my first child, but with my second, because I always avoided the beach when he was small, because I just couldn't be in the water with my daughter and because even at waist level, you know, um, and I would have felt a lot more confident about having them there. I thought, what a great invention. So I'm wondering, is there a piece of parenting equipment that you think needs to be invented? And if you're not in the mind frame to think of something that needs to be invented, what parenting gadget has helped you with your own kids? Luke? Well, I think maybe because I've been reading so much Andy and Terry, I, I, I thought a bit outside of the box. But I think some kind of temporary cloning machine would be very helpful, <laughs> especially when I'm working from home and Harry's home as well. And I really need to get the work done. But the only way to kind of stop him destroying the house is to just put him in front of the television. And I feel really bad. I'd much rather be able to play with him or read to him, engage with him in some way and get the work done. And the only way to achieve that would be for there to be two me's. But it would have to be a temporary cloning situation because if you just created a permanent clone, there's all sorts of you know moral conundrums and it might murder you and who's the real Luke and, and all sorts of things. So it would have to be something... Could I'm not sure exactly how it would work, but yeah. you know, I'm not the scientist. I'm just, I, you know, I'm just going to give you this idea, uh, idea and and you know, whoever's okay. listening uh, has got a shed or whatever can knock one up for me. Okay, um, I'm into the idea. Yeah, it sounds good. I have to say, my invention's also along the fantasy lines because well, I mean, we don't really need more gadgets and stuff, do we? I don't think these <laughs> days. But if I could invent anything that would make my life easier right now for my, particularly for my lovely six-year-old son, it would be a volume control. <laughs> <laughs> Because I adore him, but I spend a lot of my life saying, just shush, just turn it down, just 
does it have to be so really loud? All because he only speaks at eleven. Like he only <laughs> speaks at eleven, and it's I adore him. I love his enthusiasm, and he says lots of interesting things. But if he could, maybe it's because we're older parents. <laughs> Brent and I came to parenting a little bit later in life, and I'm just like, oh, if I could just turn the volume down. I think I everything it. would be calmer. What so. about uh, hearing loss? Have you thought about that? <laughs> well, that is just a gift that awaits me in the future. <laughs> like, that's something to look forward to about ageing, isn't it? So maybe I won't be able to just turn the hearing aid down. Oh, I love it. What, what gifts you have given us? Cloning, volume control. We've got advice about monkey bars. Luke's going to represent us in, in Western Australian Parliament. <laughs> And anywhere else that wants to ban monkey bars. Uh, Holly, Luke, we have learned so much from you today. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. That was Mamma Mia's Holly Wainwright. She's the, an author and host of the parenting podcast, This Glorious Mess. And Luke Eskimm, a.k.a. Asparagus from The Vegetable Pot. You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to leave a review and share it with your friends. The Parent Panel. New episodes every Friday.